0: lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota, and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Al Zalea is on the show today, and we're discussing the real value of trees. You know the old saying, money doesn't grow on trees? Well, Al might beg to differ. He's been working on tree valuation for quite a while, and he's about to show us how to value a tree. And I think you'll discover that we've been underestimating their value over the course of their lifetime. If you're looking for expert advice on investing in trees, and what trees to invest in. If you're wondering about whether a tree is worth saving, if you're battling a pest issue like emerald ash borer, or if you'd like to know about some free online resources to help you create a smart plan for the trees on your property, Al shares it all in today's episode. Growing Money, Calculating the Real Value of Trees with Al zalea That's the topic of today's show, and it's coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. I want to thank you for listening to the Still Growing Podcast this week. If you've just found the show, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I always start out by recommending other garden podcasts that I think you should be listening to. My recommendation this week is an upcoming show by my friend Joanne Shaw over at Down the Garden Path radio show. It's live on Reality Radio 101 on Monday nights, and it's featuring past guest Jan Johnson. She's the author of The Spirit of Stone, among many others, and she's just wonderful. So if you enjoyed episode 588, where Jan talked about how to creatively use stone, in the landscape, you should check out Monday night's show over at Down the Garden Path radio show. And if you can't catch it Monday night, it will be available via podcast over at Joanne's podcast of the same name, Down the Garden Path. So check that out. In any case, I love gardening podcasts. They're such a great way to grow and learn as a gardener. And I'm truly honored that you're spending some time here this week listening to the Still Growing podcast. I'd also like to invite you to join the listener community for the show. This is the private free Facebook group that I host for listeners of the show and it's called the Still Growing Podcast Group. So the next time you're in Facebook, just search for Still Growing Podcast Group and our group will pop right up and you can request to join. This group is the only place that I go to pick lucky winners for any of the show giveaways. Last week's episode was featuring Michelle Baltz's wonderful book on composting it's called Composting for a New Generation, The Latest Techniques for the Bin and Beyond. And the winner is Randy Haudeschelt. So congratulations, Randy. Just send me an email with your contact information, and I'll make sure that the publisher sends you a copy of the book. Congratulations, Randy. You know, another great reason to join the group is that you get to interact with the guests that have been on the show, like Michelle Boltz. In fact, Michelle was answering tons of composting questions last week. Plus, if you have questions for the other garden experts that have been on the show, just post it in the group. They love answering your questions. All right, let's welcome new members to the group this week. Missy Lacus, Leslie Buck, Leslie is the author of the book, Cutting Back, My Time in the Gardens of Kyoto, Japan. That was an episode that was featured back in February, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, check it out. Demetrius Brown, Karen Douglas Brown, Josh Yates, Ashley Trendler, Maria Hurley, Ann myers Souter, Alessandra DeCampos, Drew Harris, Angela Robinson, and Alicia Rasvi welcome you guys. Don't forget, there's a phone number for the show. It's 865-333-GROW or 865-333-4769. So if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback, don't hesitate to call. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, there's no need to take notes or track down links. Just head on over to the group and join. In the guest update segment, Past guest Gail Eichelberger wrote a great post called When a Tree Falls in the Forest. And this is all about the wonderful things that happen after a tree falls down. The value of that tree continues. It provides habitat for birds and insects and pollinators, perches for hunters, nesting, resting places. Trees play an important role in forests, even dead trees. Gail wrote a great post here with tons of wonderful images. So go ahead and check out that post. Also in the guest update segment, Melissa Coffey's ebook of her book, How to Speak Chicken, is just 2 dollars on Amazon this month. So if you wanted to get a hold of that book, I'll have a link to that in the group. And you can also support the show by using that link. In sustainability, David Dominey wrote a really great post called How to Create a Wildflower Meadow in the Garden. This is a great way to rewild your garden. And as David points out, wildflower meadows bring tremendous color to your garden. And they're perfect for unused parts of your garden as well. So if you have an unused area and you've been wondering what to do, Check out this post by David Dominey and be inspired to bring a touch of wild to your garden. Spring is the perfect time to sow a wildflower meadow. In Continuing Ed, there was a post over at Gardeners.com on the basics of gardening in raised beds. You get to grow more food in less space. You have better soil. You have complete control over that. And of course, fewer weeds. This topic was featured over at the Joe Gardner podcast. I think it's a two-part episode. So if you haven't checked that one out yet, you should. And then this article is a great resource for you as well if you're thinking about raised beds. Great resource. In the how-to DIY segment was a post that Danny Perkins had shared. It was by Patty Matthews, and it has to do with hummingbirds. And it shows this image of a hummingbird drinking clear nectar. In fact, this post makes a great point. Your hummingbird nectar does not need red food coloring. Here's what this simple infographic points out. I don't need red dyes to be attracted to your feeders. So just please only give me four parts water with one part table sugar. So very helpful reminder here, courtesy of Danny Perkins. Thanks for posting that in the listener community, Danny. This is exactly what I do as well. I make my own sugar water for my hummingbirds and there's absolutely no dye, no red dye. In the Plant Spotlight, past guest Diana Stoll of the blog Garden with Diana shared this wonderfully beautiful, vibrant post on winter aconites. She shared many pictures of winter aconites covered with pollinators, those gorgeous yellow blooms bursting out of beautiful leaf litter. Just gorgeous. And then past guest Joanne vandenberg Ohms showed some pictures of the winter aconite over in the Netherlands because it's just a glorious time for that over there. She showed this home and the entire front yard is covered. And then there's this really cute picture of a black cat and this lawn of yellow flowers. Just gorgeous. Then I found a great post by Monrovia. And they were featuring the slender Hinoki false cypress. This is a cypress that I love. It has a susical quality to it that they point out. And it's hardy from zone four to eight. But the best part about it is that it's a tall and skinny vertical accent for your garden. In the news, Metro US shared a post about bee glue, Bee glue or propolis is a sticky brownish substance that occurs when bees combine sap from evergreen trees and their own byproducts and beeswax. And they use this as a coating when they build their hives. Apparently, folks are looking at the health remedy aspect, the natural treatment of using this bee glue to stay healthy. So that was a very interesting post. There was a great post that was shared in the New York Times that was all about this search for a lost strain of rice. The most amazing part of this article is that a chef from Charleston actually found the rice growing in a field in Trinidad. Now, this was interesting because the farmer was descended from slaves who once lived in Georgia. Quite a story, quite a history with this lost rice. Great article. Love that one. In the Dream Guest segment this week is horticulturist Greg Grant. He is one of a kind for sure, a native son of Texas. His story was also featured in the New York Times. The article was called Every Plant Has a Story You Just Need to Dig. Greg is Living in rural Texas, on the homestead where his family has lived for five generations, and he's slowly rewilding that entire area. And he's quite a character. So that's why Greg Grant made the Dream Guest segment this week. In Science This Week, City Lab shared a great story on David Nowak. David Nowak is one of the folks who has done early work, pioneering work on the valuation of trees. And so in doing research for today's show, I found this great article that they wrote about David and it's called, What Are Trees Worth to Cities? That's a great read. It's quick, plus lots of great insight on urban forestry here. There was also a fascinating post about the hairy flower wild petunia and how it spreads its seeds. It does it with a bang. The plant flings tiny seeds from a small torpedo-shaped fruit. The seeds can travel as far as 20 feet through the air. So what they did in this article is they shared a video that shows this seed exploding out of the fruit. Dwight Whittaker, a professor of physics at Pomona College in Claremont, California, says, hey, it's just like throwing confetti. In shopping this week, listener Randy Howdeshelt shared a book that he loves for composting, and it's Barbara Pleasant's Complete Compost Gardening Guide. So I looked it up, and you can get used copies of this book, this wonderful resource from past guest Barbara Pleasant, online for just a couple of dollars. So go ahead and check that out. I've put links to that in the group. And then I just wanted to report back. I got my copy of The Salad Garden by Joy Larkum, and I think it only cost me about 2 to $3. And I absolutely love this book. This is a guide that helps you grow more than 200 salad plants. It's by Joy Larkum. It's absolutely beautiful. I have it sitting out in my kitchen, and I just love it. So check that one out as well. In recipes this week, The Guardian shared their 10 best onion recipes. Everything from sausage stuffed onions to onion fritters, egg salad with onion, and so on. Lots of great recipes here. Some perfect for spring. Finally, an inspiration is the art of Dee Nickerson. She's based in England, but she does so much work that has to do with the natural world, and her paintings are gorgeous. I first discovered her by following a post by Bridget Strawbridge. She posted a piece that was called Freedom, and it just shows this woman walking through nature on a snowy day, and I loved it so much I had to track down the artist. So again, her name is Dee Nickerson, and you can see all of her work on her Twitter account. Just beautiful. Today's quotables all have to do with trees. Here's one by Ronald Reagan. A tree is a tree. How many more do you need to look at? Here's one by Barbara Dean. Hunting a Christmas tree. Green Prince. Winter 1994-1995. I have a particular feeling for this particular tree, and here is where the difficulty is. For I am about to kill it. Here's one by Ralph Austin, A Treaty of Fruit Trees, 1653. Oh, how sweet and pleasant is the fruit of those trees, which a man hath planted and ordered with his own hand to gather it, and largely and freely to bestow and distribute it among his kindred and friends. Here's one by Ralph Waldo Emerson, 1844. Plants are the young of the world, vessels of health and vigor, but they grope ever upward toward consciousness. The trees are imperfect men and seem to bemoan their imprisonment. Rooted to the ground. Here's a really great one from Alice Walker in The Color Purple, 1982. Us sing and dance, make faces, and give flower bouquets, trying to be loved. You ever notice that trees do everything to get attention we do, except walk? Here's one from George Pope Morris. Woodman, spare that tree, 1830. Woodman, spare that tree. Touch not a single bough. In youth it sheltered me, and I'll protect it now. Finally, this one from Thomas Church. Gardens are for people, 1955. In the intimate and humanized landscape. Trees become the greatest single element, linking us visually and emotionally with our surroundings. Other manifestations of nature, great rocks, deserts, moors, torrents, hurricanes, stir us, fill us with awe, make us afraid or humble. But a tree we understand and can allow to become part of us. It is no wonder that when we first think of a garden, we think of a tree. Well, that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed if you join the listener community for the show in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition to the topic of today's show, Growing Money, Calculating the Real Value of Trees with Al Zalea. Al's an urban forester for the Davy Tree Expert Company based in Chicago. He works with the Davy Institute, which is the research arm of the company, and he works with a small team building models that reveal the practical services and benefits of trees on multiple scales for homeowners, businesses, and municipalities. Al and his team see beyond the beauty of trees to examine the hidden benefits, such as how much carbon they are storing, how much pollution they are capturing, and how much stormwater they're intercepting. That's just for starters. On a micro level, homeowners can be unsure of how to value the trees on their property. But Al's team understands the various values that people should consider. When it comes to investing in trees, homeowners can realize increased property values, reduced energy costs, even a decrease in the amount of time a home may be on the market. I said at the top of the show that there's that old saying that money doesn't Grow on trees. But Al would beg to differ. There is a monetary value to the services that trees provide. Here are just a few of the benefits that Al and his team, as well as many other researchers, are working to ascribe monetary value to. First, trees reduce energy demand. Homes use less air conditioning in the summer when they have a large shade canopy provided by trees. Energy reduction means that power generators don't have to make as much power for communities. It's a win-win. Another benefit provided by trees is that they're an important part of a climate adaption strategy in the face of global warming. During photosynthesis, trees use carbon dioxide, one of the culprits of global warming. In fact, half of the weight of a tree is carbon. Carbon. They are massive carbon sinks, masters of sequestering carbon, as Al likes to say. We know that trees help reduce stress, and there are a number of researchers working on trying to attach a value to that. But trees also reduce pollutant concentrations and improve public health. Think about this. Have you ever thought of trees in terms of public health? You should. It's one of the areas where Al and his team have been making great strides. We know that trees intercept air pollution, so they improve air quality. And trees absorb pollutants like ozone and nitrogen dioxide and sulfur dioxide. Plus, they intercept particulate matter, the very fine dust particles that are in the air. And particulate matter can have very detrimental health impacts. Think about folks with asthma or respiratory ailments. By reducing particulate matter, people can go to work, kids can go to school, and Al's team can actually attach a monetary value to trees in that regard, thereby making the case for trees as a vital investment for overall public health. Just this one benefit is such a powerful example of the importance of this work, the work of calculating a value of our trees. Al's work continues the legacy in urban forestry started by Dr. Dave Nowak of the U.S. Forest Service and Dr. Greg McPherson of the U.S. Forest Service. In a recent article, Dave Nowak whittled down 30 years of studying the economic value of forests to this singular piece of advice If you can only plant one tree, plant it in a city. As for Dr. McPherson, he grew up under a canopy of American elms in Howell, Michigan. Despite attempts to save the trees, they were all lost to Dutch elm disease. Having felt the sting of that loss, he became a green accountant, developing new methods and tools for quantifying the value of nature's benefits from city trees. As Al points out, their work, in addition to much of the pioneering research that was started in the 1990s, are making it possible to translate all of this research into algorithms that can quantify the value of trees. The array of online tools, as well as smartphone apps that have been developed thanks to iTree help all kinds of people from middle schoolers all the way up to watersheds. Pretty amazing. Let me take you on a little tour quick. The first one is the online tool for design over at iTreesTools.org. This is a tool that allows you to enter your actual address or general city for anyone in the United States and Canada. And then you can trace the outline of your home and actually place trees on your property. This tool will actually grow that tree to maturity. You can see the tree canopy grow and you can also see the projected cost benefits of growing that particular tree. And landscape architects have discovered It And they are using it as well. And you can use it for large tree planting projects. In fact, I think in today's episode, Al mentions that someone used it for a large park where they were planting, I want to say like 300 trees. For sure, it is a new way of looking at the benefits of trees to a property or project. It can capture how much stormwater is being retained, how much carbon it is sequestering, and it shows all of that value over time. And when you're done, you can print out the report. So if you're applying for a grant for a park, for instance, you can add this report to strengthen your grant application as well. My personal favorite aspect of this tool is seeing the tree canopy growth over time. That's something I really appreciated when I realized after using this tool that my locust tree is pretty much at its adult size. So here I've been holding back on adding trees to my property when actually I have room to start doing that. And so that will be one of the first things I do this summer. As you can tell, if you are in the middle of making a decision about trees for your property, such as where you want to plant the tree, this tool can really help you with that. If you're interested in energy savings, this tool will show summer savings and winter savings offered by the tree some placement is better than others. And in this tool, you can just take that tree that you want to plant and move it around the property and you can see the dollar value of the energy savings actually change going up and down based on where you think you're going to plant that tree on the property. So it shows an energy savings in the summer from the shade provided by the tree, but it also shows the energy savings in the winter from the wind block aspects provided by the tree. And the species matters too. For instance, a conifer is a better wind block than a maple. When it comes to making decisions about trees on your property, this tool is fantastic because it helps you take into account things like species, size, and placement. And it attributes a value to that. So you're going to end up making a better decision when it comes to placing trees on your property, thanks to this tool. In addition to the itreetool.org design tool, there is also MyTree. MyTree helps people see the benefits that their trees are providing. It's got more of a drop-down feel and user experience. Then, in addition to that, there's an iTree Tools desktop version for species. Now, this tool is interesting because you kind of engineer the tree that you should plant based on a bunch of different criteria that you can choose. You begin by entering your location and also the height information to address constraints, for example, with wires. So if your tree shouldn't grow more than 20 feet high, you can specify that. And then you can look at the species of tree that you should be considering, not just based on their beautiful fall color, but also now based on functions like temperature reduction, air pollution removal allergenicity, carbon storage, wind reduction, air temperature reduction, and so on. And then based on all of those things, it gives you a list of trees. So you can say, hey, I want great wind reduction. I want on a scale of one to 10, you know, zero allergenicity. I want it to provide temperature reduction in the summer. And then the tool will spit out a bunch of tree species that you should consider, including great information about those species as well. Now, here are a few important points to keep in mind for today's episode. Al points out that we naturally celebrate tree planting, but we should equally celebrate tree care because that's where you really realize the value of the tree. It takes a long time to get a tree to maturity. We need to focus on tree preservation, which means care and maintenance, as well as planting trees, because that is how trees become a sustainable and worthwhile resource. We should also prioritize tree placement in relation to our homes. So I asked Al this question to consider the various quadrants, north, south, east, and west. Where does the most benefit come from? And here's what Al said, west and north should be priority quadrants because of the benefit that they provide of summer shade and winter wind block. So if you're going to place trees, place them on the west and north side of your property first. Next would be east. Planting trees on the eastern side of your property cuts down on the impact of morning sun But the most negative impact in terms of dollar value is placing trees on the south side of your property. And the reason for that is because it has a negative winter impact. If you think about it, the sun moves a little south in the winter and a tree on the south side of the house can actually block the sun from the house. And that will give you a negative cost savings impact in the winter. So west and north first, then east, and last of all, south. So if you're thinking about your tree budget and where you're going to spend that money, invest in west and north first. Finally, Al provides us with some great tips on how to maintain trees. First, you want to become informed about your trees, know the species, understand the characteristics of your tree. Second, assess the health of your tree. Consult an arborist or your local county extension office. Know what state of health your trees are in. And then finally, balance your tree portfolio the same way you would balance your investment portfolio by diversifying Protect your investment in trees by planting greater tree diversity on your property. On today's episode, Al will share a number of his favorite species. So take note of his recommendations, which include the Kentucky coffee tree and a number of oak trees. The main takeaway here is that if you want to have the benefits, you have to sustain your trees. As Al points out at the end of the episode, trees really do pay us back many times over. And now we have many tools online to choose from and apps for our smartphone that can help us see trees' true value. We're Talking Trees today how to measure their value and services, as well as some pretty incredible free tech tools that anyone can use. Here's Growing Money, Calculating the Real Value of Trees with Al Zalea. Well, welcome to the show, Al.
1: Hi, Jennifer. Great to be with you.
0: Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today. We are going to cover a lot of different things about trees. And I'm very curious. Let's begin by having you share what you do for Davey.
1: Sure, sure. So I'm an urban forester for the Davy Tree Expert Company, and I'm based in the Chicago region. And what I do specifically is I work with the Davy Institute, which is our research and development part of the whole Davy Tree Expert Company. So we support our service lines all over the United States and uh, North America and Canada also. And I work with a small group, a small team, and what we do is we focus on building models to basically look at what are the services and benefits that trees are providing for homeowners, municipalities, counties, so multiple scales. So what we try to do is get beyond just looking at trees as being a beautiful part in a landscape and try to find out how much pollution are they capturing, how much stormwater are they intercepting, how much carbon are they storing, and, and other types of values like
2: that.
0: And that's important work, Al, because we have to be able to quantify what trees are doing in order to truly value what they're bringing to the landscape.
1: Absolutely, that is becoming more and more important uh, for homeowners, but also for cities in general is um, uh, many, many homeowners are, are looking at their landscape as how can this, you know, help me beyond just providing beauty? And so there's numerous ways that trees help homeowners, such as increasing property values, reducing their energy costs, helping uh, reduce uh, the time that a home may be on the market and in numerous other ways that they provide community benefits. And for cities, it's it's also equally important, too. So how can they justify spending resources, time, money to care and plant for trees? So being able to show that return on investment on those ecosystem services and being able to monetize it in some cases really helps them justify budgets.
0: Hmm. You know, one of the things that I ran across when I was preparing to speak to you today was there was some presentation I found online where you were talking about basically cost-benefit analysis. And in this case, it had to do with emerald ash borer. And I think you were trying to help someone or help a city or help communities determine, is it worth trying to save these trees or is it better to just move on? Do you end up with questions like that quite frequently from people, especially when it comes to things like emerald ash borer, Dutch elm disease, things that can really wipe out certain species of trees in communities?
1: Yes, that's that's a great question. And I think one of the things that we've learned over time is, is much of the tools that we use and the, the research is fairly new that has become available. And many of these tree, insect, pests, and diseases that have caused wide-scale loss of particular species, we did not know what those services and values that some of those trees were providing. So now that we can look at those, we can get a better picture of what is then the cost or benefit of keeping that tree on a landscape or for a city and then make a better decision. Do we want to remove and replace that Oftentimes, a city or a homeowner might decide, well, my tree is going to get emerald ash borer, I might as well have it removed. But when you start looking at what that tree is providing in terms of energy savings or stormwater interception or just even increasing the property value, it almost changes the perception and the perspective of the value that that tree is providing And that may change how a homeowner might look at protecting a tree. For instance, I actually have an ash tree in my backyard, and and I've been protecting it uh, for the past seven years. And I look at that tree as a utility almost in terms of the stormwater that it intercepts because I have uh, water issues in my neighborhood just because I live in a low-lying area. And so, I also look at the fact that it shades my house where it's situated in the landscape, and I rarely use air conditioning in the summer uh, because of some of the shade that this 20-inch tree provides. And so, if you think a 20-inch tree, that's maybe about the size of a, a car tire, so to say, and it's about 50 foot tall. So, for me, as a homeowner, I look at the utility value in addition to the, just a the general aesthetic appeal of keeping that tree. So cities can look at that at larger scales, too. So we've seen people make better decisions by knowing, you know, what are we trying to protect in terms of the values and services that trees may be providing to a community or for the individual homeowner.
0: I like that. You know, my parents have the exact same situation you're describing with your emerald ash, except theirs is in the front yard. They have a south-facing home. And, you know, that tree is roughly, I think, the same size or larger than the tree you described. Mm -hmm. And they reap so many benefits, not only from the shading capability of that tree, but probably in other ways that they're underestimating. And one of the things that you brought up is... Runoff, dealing with storm water runoff. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Stormwater runoff is a major problem for many communities, and and it can vary. It can vary geographically, but uh, managing storm water is a challenge. And one of the ways that um, communities are looking to improve how they manage storm water is by this concept of green infrastructure. And so that is. How can we look at trees, shrubs, and other vegetation to help mitigate stormwater? And so if you think about cities, much of cities are what we call gray infrastructure. So uh, we remove farm fields, we remove forests, and we uh, turn that into pavements generally or landscapes, not so much landscape surfaces, but buildings and other structures, and it becomes gray surface. And then we may plant around the perimeter or where we can, small patches of trees and grass and so forth, but really there is a a big difference. And so that impervious surface really has a tremendous impact on stormwater just hits that and usually flows into a drain and then that carries pollutants into waterways and causes water quality issues and just stormwater uh, management issues. It's uh, flooding and things like that that could be concerns for communities. So if you think about trees trees and large vegetation, they're intercepting that stormwater, so they're slowing down that stormwater. Some stormwater will definitely make it through trees, depending on the canopy and the size, and the leaf surface. So different leaves, uh, larger trees like maples and so forth have a large surface area. They'll intercept more stormwater and hold more stormwater. Smaller leaf surface area, if you think like a, uh, say, a ginkgo tree, has a smaller, uh, more fine leaf Stormwater will definitely go through that, but it'll still slow it down, and so there's some benefits in slowing that down or some benefits in intercepting and holding that. It then helps it um, not cause so much erosion in the soil, and it allows it to penetrate into the ground, too, so there's subsurface benefits also, and then trees uptake water from the ground when it's not raining, and then they transpire the um, water vapor into the atmosphere. And so that actually even causes a cooling effect. So they're helping create more soil capacity, more storage capacity for water in the ground, too. So there's kind of a simple way to look at trees. Larger leaf surface area of a tree is going to do more. Larger trees will do more, too. And so trees, green infrastructure, they're really becoming more of a component for cities looking at different ways that they can help manage stormwater. One of the things I try to remind folks and cities especially is when they're looking at trees is just to remember all the other co-benefits that go along with it. If you just focus on stormwater only, that's only one point. And you might say, well, sure, a um, retention pond for stormwater can hold so much more than a capacity of a canopy. But when you start looking at all the other benefits of trees, whether it's air quality improvement, energy conservation, public health, Uh, The capability of attracting new residents and businesses, economic development, social equity, risk management, there's so many just other ways that trees have these multiple benefits that I try to remind folks not to just hone in on one specific one and think of them as just this great resource that provides so many benefits.
0: Yeah. You know, when you talk about these co-benefits, what are some that really stand out to you in terms of the least appreciated, that when you point them out to folks, they're surprised?
1: One of the areas where we're making great strides is public health. And um, recently, we've started using different types of modeling techniques. We we know that trees intercept air pollution. So there, there are multiple ways that trees help improve air quality. They uh, absorb gaseous pollutants like ozone and nitrogen dioxide and sulfur dioxide. And and then they also intercept particulate matter, very fine dust particles that are in the air. They're they're, they're you can't really see them, but you inhale them and they can cause health impacts. So these particulate matter um, really have detrimental health impacts. And we now use a different type of modeling that looks at if we can reduce the pollutant concentration in the air, what are those public health impacts that we could then correlate that to? So how much can we reduce asthma incidents? How much can we reduce other respiratory ailments? And that all has impacts in terms of uh, lost work days for employees, for children that go to school. So we can actually attach a monetary impact to trees effect at reducing air pollution and improving air quality. And so the public health impacts is really important. So those are things that, you know, all communities care about. It's public health. We might not understand some of the other things like UV protection, which is a, a pretty important health component. But I think that people, especially with asthma incidents and in children, that is something that um, we're starting to kind of try to make a, a lot of connections with is, is just the public health capabilities, and we can monetize it in many cases, too, using some of the uh, the Environmental Protection Agency. The EPA has a model that allows us to, to monetize what is that value to society for reducing pollutant concentration and improving public health. So so public health, to me, is really one of the, the, the great areas where we're just starting, I think, to, to make those connections, but then there are many ways, too, that we know that trees reduce stress, but those are harder things to quantify and to monetize. There are studies that have been done that look at the tree's effects at um, reducing times in hospital stays and medication needs and, and all the other social impacts, but those are a little bit more difficult to try to quantify and monetize, but there's some great areas where I think that we're just starting to scratch the surface of possibilities.
0: Hmm. I'm kind of chuckling as I'm listening to you tell me all of this because I think, as I mentioned in the pre-chat, I've got four teenagers. Two of them really struggle with math, and I keep telling them, you can't run away from it. You've got to somehow figure out a way to make peace with math because you're going to need it your entire life. And so if I were to suggest to them to pursue a career in forestry, I'm sure they would never imagine that they would be using the amount of math that you're using every day, Al, because there's a lot of accounting that's going into your work here. You're trying to put a value on so many different things to do that constant cost-benefit analysis with trees, whether it's with communities or government groups. so, I mean, you can't get away from it, can you?
1: <laughs> no, that's a great point. And I, I think we really have a lot to be thankful for in forestry and particular, particularly community forestry and urban forestry. There, there's a number of folks who pioneered a lot of the work and particularly Dr. Dave Nowak of the U.S. Forest Service and Dr. Greg McPherson, also with the U.S. Forest Service, who's going to be retiring this year. Um. And, and a number of other folks who did a lot of the pioneering research back in the, the 90s. And over time, just as technology has improved and advanced, to take a lot of that research that the Forest Service has completed and working with partners, including my company, Davy Tree, and some industry partners and nonprofit organizations, it's really a coalition of different organizations who've come together and tried to take a lot of this research and complex math and just turn them into, you know, what we call a simple app now that you can call up on a phone. So it's amazing the amount of resources that are available to homeowners that pretty much take a lot of complex math and science and distill it down into a simple application that a homeowner can enter in uh, information, a species, a diameter of a tree, and perhaps a little bit more information and find out what are some of these ecosystem services that trees are providing right in their backyard. Hmm.
0: I want to get into those apps with you, but first I have a couple of questions just because you've given us so much information about really the scientific way that you're looking at trees, which is so much more in depth than just you know, a, a, a lay person would. Mm-hmm. My first question has to do with global warming. How do you perceive global warming as an urban forester? What's your perspective?
1: Well, one of the great things about trees is that they can play a part in, say, like a climate Uh, adaptation strategy. So climate change and global warming are things that are becoming more of concern for communities. I think homeowners are starting to to get this also, but it's a little bit hard sometimes for a, a homeowner to understand how does that provide value to me as a homeowner. So that's one of the things that's a little bit more complex. But one of the things that trees do is during the process of photosynthesis, they use carbon dioxide, which is one of the primary greenhouse gases that's responsible for global warming. So with sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide, which is in the atmosphere, trees are pulling out and using that carbon dioxide and storing carbon in their biomass. So if you think of that large tree that we were talking about, about 20 inches or so, ash tree I was describing earlier, half of that biomass or that weight of that tree is considered carbon. So, the trees are actually acting as a carbon sink or a carbon store. And as trees grow every year and put on more mass and more leaves and more branches, they're storing more carbon. So, for the individual homeowner, if their trees are healthy, that's going to continue to increase over time. And conversely. As trees die and senesce and drop branches, that biomass is then returned back to the atmosphere. So there's actually an incentive for homeowners and communities to keep their trees healthy so that they actually store and we use the word sequester. So that's actually pulling out and they store carbon dioxide or they use carbon dioxide and store that has carbon in their biomass. And we use that term sequester. They're sequestering carbon. But they also release carbon when they die too. So there's there's also the impetus to um, keep your trees healthy. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is going back to the co-benefits. So if you think about trees benefit in terms of reducing energy demand, so a shady a tree that's shading a home is going to reduce the need for air conditioning. So that means that the home is going to re use less energy, but then there's also co-benefits if many homes are using less energy because it's a very well-shaded community, then at the power power plant uh, that's producing energy for the community, there's going to be less demand, less emissions there also. So you have these local benefits of trees just storing carbon, but then you have the energy effects, which reduce the emissions for the home, and then the secondary bets uh, benefits of not having to produce more energy at the power generation source. So, so in short, there are just great ways that trees and green infrastructure can be part of um, a climate strategy. Many communities are starting to look at their trees as that type of resource. Um, one thing to think about is that it takes, think about planting a tree. How long does it take to get a tree to maturity? That's a long time. Yeah. So we focus a lot on planting trees, but we really need to have that same type of emphasis on preserving trees. So the, the large trees that we have already, maintaining those and ensuring that they can keep doing what they're doing and continue on being a sustainable resource while we're planting new trees to replace those over time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as long as you mentioned it, when if you were just talking to a neighbor or someone who called and said, you know, what can I do to preserve my tree? What can I do to just take care, maintain, make sure that the great trees that are on my property are healthy? What are some tips that just come to mind for you? I think
1: for homeowners, it's a process of first becoming educated about your trees. Uh, one of the great things is that uh, the, the, the Internet provides us with a, a wealth of resources to, to learn about trees. And, and so you have a lot of information at hand that you can first learn, what is a species of tree that I have? What are the particular characteristics that that species requires? And then, you know, how is the health of that tree? That's a little bit more of a tricky question. One of the things that we would always say as an arborist is to consult an arborist. So many companies like Davy have the offer of having an arborist come out to evaluate the health of a tree and teach you about your tree and and just give you some general advice. Uh, Davy.com, our website, there is a, a blog, there's a homeowner's resources, arborist information on there. So you can learn a ton about different things about your trees. Because it varies regionally, and, and I'm in the in the Midwest, and I, I probably couldn't help folks in Albuquerque as much with their questions or in the southeast, but there are usually experts in those areas. And so you can definitely always talk to an arborist, but you can probably also talk to local extension offices too. Most counties have an extension office, and they're charged with uh, helping homeowners learn more about um, you know their their trees and other other types of landscapes and agricultural questions too so there's a lot of resources but learning about trees will, will help you make a more informed decision some of the tools that I use that help you learn about the benefits of trees will help you understand what a resource that is and may help you kind of um, make a decision as to why you should care for that tree or, or help your community plant more trees in some cases.
0: Hmm. You know, the other question I had for you had to do with this very ambitious project that I've been reading about, and it's called the Great Green Wall Project in Africa. It, the The whole goal of the project is to create this wall, this 8,000-kilometer-long wall that goes across Africa, all across the southern part of the Sahara Desert. And the whole goal is to really change and transform Africa with the benefit of this green wall. It's really just a bigger version of what people try to do in cities all over the world, which is to create more of that green infrastructure that you were talking about. Do you have maybe a good example or a good story you can share about a community or an urban area that you're aware of that dedicated itself to creating more green infrastructure and then all of those co-benefits? There's a couple that
1: come to mind and Grand Rapids, Michigan is always one of my favorite stories because they are a Midwest community on the shores of Lake Michigan. and, and, And there were several individuals that were really key, but they started having to deal with emerald ash borer impacts and so the loss of ash trees and they had a really great organization the friends of grand rapids parks active and looked at the benefits of trees and so the city was preemptively removing some of the ash trees saying we're going to lose these ash trees anyway let's just start cutting these down and some of these local residents saw what was happening on some of these blocks where you had mature trees literally just being they were healthy but they figured we're going to lose them anyway they were being clear cut and cut down so the the residents and some of the other blocks said there's got to be a better way they worked with the local arborists to understand what were the options and at that time we were just starting to come across new options for treating and protecting ash trees and then they started using the information of what are those trees providing in terms of the benefits. And they decided to treat some of those trees on their, on their own individual blocks just to protect them. And the city saw that this was effective and worked with the groups to really change the policy of how they were going to deal with emerald ash borer to protect and preserve the tree canopy. So it was a somewhat of a transformative change, but it all started just with residents really seeing, seeing, being able to see what was being lost and being able to quantify what were some of the impacts in terms of those services and benefits that the community was going to be losing and then making that case with the city. And that has evolved over time where they have just done so many different things um, and so many different studies to look at their tree cover and find out what are the benefits that they're providing. They've done some pretty significant studies to look at. I don't have them off uh, hand, but we have them in some of our applications where they can actually see how much that the citywide carbon they're storing, carbon they're sequestering yearly, how much uh, stormwater they're being inter- is being intercepted and stored by their trees, energy savings information of that resource. And if you look up Grand Rapids website, you'll find that underneath their urban forestry. So, so that's one component is just moving from somewhat of not knowing a whole lot about benefits using that information to move towards a more proactive management stance. But now, after Emerald Ashbore has passed through and they're dealing with the, the implications of um, not doing other management techniques over time, not caring for all the other trees just because they had to deal so much with emolash bore impacts, they're starting to get back to traditional yearly maintenance and management of their entire urban forest. And they're using a lot of the tools that they have, the management tools, the information that they have. They understand the benefits of their trees, but now they realize that they also have to maintain these too, and so they have to dedicate resources to do that too. So it's almost a, um, a continuous cycle. If you want to have the benefits sustainable for future generations, you then have to understand those benefits, but you also have to make that commitment to maintaining and managing them properly over time. So they're, they're really a great story that I like to uh, point towards.
0: Yeah, I like that story. And as you were talking about it, I was thinking about Emerald Ashbor in a whole new way because I thought, you know what? Without Emerald Ashbor, that citizen group would have never gotten that involved. And then, you know, potentially all the learnings that have happened as a result, appreciating trees in a new way, all the co benefits, considering that, weighing that, are they worth investing in? Are they worth trying to keep? I mean, there was a lot of good that came out of that.
1: That's very true. That's that's some of the things that you, you might hear folks say. That um, a lot of good can come out of crisis when you when you realize what's lost and people come together and then improve. Can they improve how things are done and then make things more resilient? Can that way they're hopefully not going to have impacts, And that's one of the things that we've, you know, we've unfortunately not learned in our field in urban forestry. We tend to like planting the same types of trees and not diversing our urban forests. And then when something bad happens, the impacts are much more devastating because many trees are at risk. And so in the case of ash trees, some of those communities in Grand Rapids um, lost their whole blocks were just completely ash trees. So if that resource or that species is at risk, you're going to lose everything. So hopefully if you look up and down blocks now, you'll see that folks will have more diverse landscapes and that way it makes us a little bit more resilient in case something does happen in the future. And unfortunately, more than likely than not, we probably will have more issues to deal with going forward.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, really, I think you can almost list any tree and, There are drawbacks to every possible tree.
1: Yeah, most trees are susceptible to one thing or another. And so that's the idea with diversifying. And you're then not going to have the same types of impacts. And so sometimes you'll walk up and down a block in a city and you'll see many different types of trees. And, you know, something, yeah, they might have, this particular tree might be susceptible to a specific pest or disease. But knowing that there are other types of trees or other types of tree species, you're a little bit more uh, protected then. Yeah, but yeah. M- most trees will have, there, there are certainly some trees that um, tend to be pretty tough, like your, like your ginkgo tree. That doesn't have too many issues.
0: Yeah, but if you're going to plant a ginkgo, then you have to weigh the other things, right? Like the small leaf size and it's slow growing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. So those are things that individuals uh, have to decide. I, I, I recently planted a Kentucky coffee tree, which is another tough tree, but it doesn't have large leaf surfaces, but there are just so many maples in my community that I wanted something different, and I wanted something uh, tough and resilient, and it's a slower-growing tree. Not too interesting in the winter, but... um it's one of my favorites.
0: It is. You know, I talked to somebody who locally is a master gardener, a friend of mine, and she said the same thing. She's like, if I have to plant a tree, I'm going with the Kentucky coffee tree. So it's it wins people over. Yeah, and it's doing great. You know, it's not every day you get to talk to an urban forester. So I have to ask, as long as we're on this topic, we've talked about the ginkgo. We've talked about the Kentucky coffee tree. Are there any others that are near and dear to your heart that you wish people would consider if they're planting trees? Not only for diversity, but just, I don't know, you think it's a great tree and people need to plant more of it.
1: Well, I'm particularly fond of oaks and just being from the Midwest, I I started out my career in restoration ecology and so I did a lot of work planting thousands and thousands of oaks in uh, forest preserve systems in Northern Illinois. And as a, both as a volunteer when I first started, and then as um, an employee when I first started working in this field, and so I, I'm I'm fond of all oaks, and it's a tough it's a tougher tree to grow on streets, but in homes and yards, there there are opportunities there. It's a, it's a slower growing tree, it's um, it's a, generally a tougher tree. So those are th- that's one of the trees that I like, but it's not a tree for all situations. I think that homeowners really need to kind of become educated with uh, their local area, though, to make that decision. So for me, I like oaks. I have a lot of black walnuts also, which most most people don't like, but I love that tree, (laughs) too. And it's another tough tree, but it's very messy. So I can see why you don't see people planting black walnuts other than if they're doing plantings in parks or natural areas. But those are trees that I just uh, think are fascinating. But, yeah, oaks oaks are one of the trees that have a hard time regenerating right now just due to some of the issues of competition with uh, invasives in natural areas like buckthorn and honeysuckle. So they have a hard time growing in uh, and regenerating in some of our natural areas. So if we planted more of those in, say, parks or homes, they provide so many resources, too, for wildlife and insects. It's it's just a great tree. So I'm, I'm pretty much fond of numerous types of oaks.
0: Now I have to ask one other question, and then let's dive into these tech tools. I was surprised to learn this year how much damage Japanese beetles can do to trees. My parents have a neighbor who have they have a beautiful linden tree. And that tree was just turned into lace work over the summer because of we had just had terrible Japanese beetles across the Twin Cities this year. Oh.
1: Well, I think you have to look at the tree and the amount of damage. So, so that's something that uh, some trees can tolerate some damage. in some years, not knowing what um, you're describing, how significant that can be, it can japanese beetles and other defoliating insects whether it's gypsy moth and there's a number of other ones that can have some impacts on tree health now no generally it's one of those things where again going back to it's it's hard to make a general a generalization and then that's where you can always go back and we always say, you know, ask an arborist or contact a local certified arborist to, to take a look, and is this something that I need to be worried about? Yeah. Oftentimes it may not be. It may not be that big of a deal, and it also depends on the time of the year, the season, too. If it's later in the season when you're seeing a lot of the defoliation, whether it's Japanese beetles or other things, it may not be as impactful as early on in the season. So trees generally will... Um, make up and store a lot of their sugars throughout the growing season. So things that impact and defoliate trees later on may not impact tree health. So there are, if you want to treat Japanese beetles, they're really difficult to treat because they uh, actually are from grubs in the ground. And so a lot of times, having a um, uh, a, lawn, a lawn that is really well, water can actually help increase Japanese beetles. They're Japanese beetle traps, which are really not effective. That, From what I'm told, they just actually attract in more Japanese beetles. So it's somewhat of a difficult tree to try to treat for. And it's more or less try to look at the impacts of those beetles and, and see if it's something that really is worthy of trying to look at more complica- complicated-type treatments.
0: All right. Well, I've learned a lot here. Uh, so one of the key takeaways is timing is can be everything when you're talking about damage to your trees. So if you're going to have something that's going to attack the foliage on your trees, better later in the year than earlier.
1: Yeah, like a lot of the, the tent caterpillars that you might see um, tend to be later on in the season, at least in the Midwest. And so they're not too bad they're more aesthetic type issues they they don't uh they, they might just be in an isolated area where you're losing some leaves, but they tend to happen later on in in the season and it might not be that harmful to trees but it also speaks to having a healthy tree throughout the year so having a tree that is properly mulched and making sure that the the color of the tree looks good if it's if it's um having issues throughout the year and then it's getting defoliated at the end of the year, that's not good too. So it's it's kind of compounding things. And um, I know you're, you're familiar with um, a decline or a death spiral. Trees tend to have multiple stresses and multiple impacts can then go further and decline than a healthy tree is more resilient and able to withstand, say, a, a less frequent or an isolated impact.
0: Very interesting. You know, oftentimes, you know, gardeners can be such worry warts. My grandma would have mm-hmm. said they're worry wards, you know. But I loved what you said about if the damage occurs early in the season versus late in the season. Don't get so worried about things like tent caterpillars or Japanese beetles. If it's happening late in the year, they're going to drop their leaves in a month anyway. It might not be that right. big of a deal. Right. Yeah. Well, I have my little MacBook Pro opened up here, and I'm ready to go to any website you want to direct me to.
1: One of my favorites is the iTree Tools website, which we manage through our with our partners uh, at Davey and the U.S. Forest Service. And if you just look up iTreeTools.org, that is the homepage. And that is kind of the launching point of many great tools that you can use for, we we really have an all-lands, all-people approach. So we have tools that are designed for middle schoolers all the way up to folks who are managing watersheds. And if you look at one of the tools, if you're on the website, and I know folks are just listening, there's a tool called iTree Design. And if you were just to type in treetools.org slash design, or you can click on design on the left panel. Yep. This is a tool that allows you to enter in your address, and it's for anybody in the U.S. and Canada. We're a little bit limited uh, applying this tool widely, so it's mostly just U.S. and Canada addresses. But you can put in your street address in this tool And if you don't have a street address, you could just enter in a city. If you're just, say, doing a planting project somewhere in Tennessee, you could just put in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But this tool is really designed for homeowners. And so what it allows you to do is enter in an address. And it just has a small Google map. And you can trace your home and then place trees around your house. They could be existing trees or if you're planting trees. and then You can just put in some information as it asks for, it's just about three steps. And it will grow out the trees if you like, so you can put in how long do you want to see these benefits aggregated over time. And so it'll actually project future benefits too. So it's a great little tool for learning about the benefits of trees that are right in your yard. And to me, it's one of the most important tools because we use, this was really designed for school kids. But we found that landscape architect students use this now just to evaluate uh, the different uh, types of trees that they might plant to see what types of benefits, different types of species and different uh, mixes that they might plant. So it's a simple little tool, but it can give you some uh, very interesting information and it can show you the differences in how tree placement, tree size, make a difference in terms of energy effects too.
0: This is pretty cool. So what I've done here is I have pulled up my property on Google Maps on iTree Design. And it's asking me, it says, you know, identify the four corners of your property or all the corners of your property. So I did that. And then I can place my trees on my property. I can enter in the tree diameter, The tree condition, you know, is it in good condition, excellent, what have you. And then how much sunlight. So you've got all of these factors. I put the tree species in and it's going to tell me a ton of stuff. It's going to model the crown growth and it's going to share a ton of different benefits as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you'll find out how much stormwater is being intercepted, how much carbon it's sequestering how much carbon it's preventing from being produced at the power generation source, uh, how much pollution it's capturing. And then if you enter in a number of years over time, it'll project that and show you the benefits over time. So think about like if a school group is doing a tree planting at Arbor Day, we always try to get them connected with this tool because they might just be putting in a small one-inch tree with a local city forester or volunteer group and The real impact is showing the value of caring for that tree over time, because that's when the benefits will accrue, and you'll see that. So we celebrate tree planting, but we should um, equally celebrate tree care, (laughs) 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 because that's where you'll see the real benefits over time. And this is just a great little tool that will show you uh, why that all matters.
0: Wow. So so this is really, really helpful for folks. Is there anything else we should be using iTree Design for?
1: Um, you can use it for tree planting projects. You can use it to evaluate existing trees. I've seen a number of um, folks use it for looking at large-scale um, tree planting projects, so it can take a lot of trees. It just depends on how much time that you want to sit down there. But I've seen somebody enter in as much as 300 trees using this in a, a very large uh, scale project. But a lot of times it, it's just a way of looking at what are those benefits, and it actually prints out a report too. So you can print out a report, you can see what those tree benefits are. And so sometimes for communities who are interested in doing planting projects in local parks and they might be applying for a grant, this is a way of attaching some of the information of how those trees can benefit the community beyond just the aesthetic act of planting trees in a park to show how they can actually be a, a utility in terms of helping the city deal with stormwater, helping um, capture air pollution, or, or whether it's part of a greenhouse gas reduction strategy to, to strengthen a, a grant application, too. So there's a number of different ways. It really just depends on how creative you can be where you can see these connections. We, we say that uh, advocacy is also really important, too. So sometimes folks don't have any idea about all these different types of benefits that trees can provide, So this is what I like to do is whenever I introduce this tool to somebody, the first thing they do is try it with their own home. So it makes it personal, Mm -hmm. and that's why I think kids love this tool too because you can see the trees that are near and dear to you and some of the benefits that they provide. So it's an impactful tool also.
0: Well, and I love the way it subtly builds awareness of all the co-benefits that you're talking about. It says right on here, you know, as you're starting to map out you know, the boundaries of your home on the Google Earth map, which is everybody's familiar with that. I'm sure we've all looked up our property. Um, But the first one of the first questions it says is, would you like to calculate the impact of trees on your cooling and heating utility bills? So that's one of the things. And then at the very end, it says, you can calculate the benefits of your trees for current and future years as well as the total to date. And then you just simply enter the number of years to track tree growth and benefits. That's pretty phenomenal. I mean, I can't believe this is free.
2: Yeah, and,
1: and again, it goes back to just technology has advanced so much and the work of many people who have uh, worked over a few decades to to do the research and then the developers uh, on our team who have worked to take this and, and turn it into a free online resource. So.
0: Wow. For a first time user, do you have maybe a homework assignment? So they're going to go use design. Is there anything in particular you'd like to draw people's attention to when they're using iTree design for the first time?
1: I think one of the main things that design will show you is that decisions matter. So one of the things is that we we tend to think of the energy benefits of trees as being universal and perhaps mostly associated with uh, trees providing shade. But the the decisions that you make where you plant the tree and the size of the tree will really impact if you're interested in energy savings. And what you'll find, uh, particularly in northern climates, is that this tree will show you both summer savings and winter savings. So with energy savings, there actually are different types of effects. So you have a summer saving, which we're mostly familiar with. Trees provide shade, and you may use less air conditioning. And where you'll see that in this particular tool, like once it shows the grid and you're moving your tree around in the lower right-hand corner, the energy savings will actually change depending on where your cursor is moving around the tree. Wow. So you'll tend to see the dollar values go up and down, and particularly in the east or west of a a structure, you'll see what we call the the kilowatt hours, which is for air conditioning, are highest. But in the winter, there's also an energy savings that's associated with trees. So trees can provide a wind block, particularly in the north. So in the winter, placing a tree to the north might be more impactful in terms of reducing energy costs. Um, The other thing to consider is the species matters too. So a conifer in the north will be more impactful at blocking winds as opposed to a maple, which is a deciduous tree and will drop its leaves. So it's really an educational tool that shows you how species, size, and placement can play into the decision making when you're placing trees around a home. Now, it's not to say that you'll you if you're modeling trees using this and existing trees, you may find that, uh, oh wow, I, I have a negative uh, energy impact because my tree is to the the north and it's blocking out the winter sun. So, you may have negative energy impact in the winter, but it might be a positive in the summer, an overall positive. So, it's educational that it just uh, opens your eyes that these decisions do matter.
0: Yeah, and you know, something else that I think is pretty neat on here as I'm looking at it is you put the trees that you have on your property, you put them on this map, and (laughs) Then you hit play. And what this thing does is it models crown growth. So if you're curious about canopy coverage, you know, if you're placing trees on your property, and you're wondering, how is that going to work as these trees grow to maturity, you can actually see that play out on this map. It, It like, it goes forward, like, I don't know, 50 years into the future. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, uh, Jennifer. One of the things that I use this tool for is to show people the impact of planting a small tree versus a large tree. So you can you can put in multiple trees. So you can plant a say a small a small service berry or a dogwood tree, and then plant in an oak tree next to it or nearby, and and just do a hypothetical. And then you'll see both the change as you described in the canopy growth over 50, 60 years. But then when you look at the difference of the two trees in terms of the benefits that they provide over time, yeah. it's uh, like night and day, there's a huge <laughs> difference in terms of what the large stature tree will provide. Doesn't mean that you can always fit a large stature tree in, but it's just a way of educating folks yeah. to that difference.
0: Yeah, this is really great. It, you know, for me, I love it because I remember one of the first interviews I did on the show. It was with Don Ingberitson. He's the Renegade Gardener, and I remember when I talked to him, I said, "Don, you know, what's something? What's your superpower? What's something you do really well as a as a garden or as a landscape designer?" And he said, "I have the ability to." imagine or to see what a property will look like at maturity. So when he's placing things, he's just got this uncanny ability to, you know, really see that future growth and and incorporate Uh, that into his design. That's a strength. I don't have that. So even as you're talking, I'm putting my locust tree on here. And what I was so struck by is I'm going, I have no idea how much bigger that thing's going to get. And I'm looking at this going, well, you know what? It's not going to get much bigger. So note to self, because if you don't have that ability, you can um, you can kind of, I don't want to say withhold, but you're restraining yourself unnecessarily. You could plant more trees, but when you can't anticipate how big a tree canopy is going to be, you can actually stop yourself from planting trees when you could actually be planting more.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great point, uh, Jennifer. One of the things, just a, a small word of caution too, is um, the visualization component on this particular tool. It doesn't take into account potential conflicts like wires and other trees and other structures. So it doesn't have that capability of that logic of analyzing, you know, what is actually in that Google map. Yeah. So that's it's it's more or less a, a tool that'll. Give you just a visualization of tree canopy growth, but it's not meant to be the all purpose tool that can do that type of advanced logic and analysis we're not We're not there yet,
0: yeah, there's always variables, but in general, these algorithms are incorporating like under normal circumstances, here's what we would predict, and then of course, we have to factor in some of the constraints or peculiarities about our individual properties.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this particular tool is taking into consideration the species, the size, and then when you enter in the exposure to sunlight, that affects the growth rate and the condition also. So it's it's a tool that will kind of help you see the impacts of a tree condition and just exposure to sun is going to increase a tree's capability to grow. It's not to say they're understory trees also, And and they'll just grow at a slower rate.
0: Hmm. Okay, now I've got a really cool question for you. I want to prioritize placement of trees with your knowledge and expertise. So without any other information, you buy a house, north, south, east, west. What quadrant do you plant a tree in, organize it by, where you think the most benefit comes from?
1: So so for me, I, I tend to look a little bit more towards the west-northwest replacement of a tree, mostly because you can get the benefit both of uh, summer shade to the west, and then to the northwest, you get the benefit of winter wind block, too. And so that's what you'll see in the design tool, is generally your highest impact if you're interested in energy saving will be in sometimes that northwest quadrant at least in northern climates that might vary if if you were doing something in the deep south where where their climates are very different okay. so i i'm more familiar with this area so generally i go west to me i can stand uh, cold i actually like winter so i would probably go to the west first,
2: <laughs> uh, you'll
1: find that the east, it, it's a, there's also personal preference, too. So, so some people don't like heat or cold, too. Um, and then to the east is where I also like placing trees, just because that also cuts down on impacts of sun as it's rising up, getting towards high noon. So if I'm looking at reducing summer energy effects and providing more shade, it's going to be... West and then east, but northwest is pretty much a kind of a compromise of summer and winter. Uh, where you get the, actually the, the most negative impact is generally to the south. And the reason that is, it's kind of interesting. You wouldn't think that is. And sometimes folks will kind of, um, say, why is this, why is this coming up with negative values on this tool and design when I put a tree to the south? And the reason is it's because it has a negative winter impact. So if you think about in winter, the, the sun it still rises in the east and sets in the west, but it moves more to the south. It almost kind of does its its uh, rise and setting in the southern distance. And so if you have a tree to the south of the house, you then are blocking that sun from helping to warm the house in the winter and then that could actually in turn increase the demand for heat and energy and so you'll see a negative impact to the south. I actually see that with some of the existing trees in my house sometimes too that um, it it takes a long time for my house to warm up in the winter even though all the trees have uh, dropped their leaves just because trees still do shade out some sun just with their, their branches and their structure if they're in the southern exposure.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I can see where some folks would be confused by that. It's almost counterintuitive.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, you can see it if you use the tool when you move, uh, the iTree design tool, when you move a, uh, a tree around and you'll actually see a, a negative impact, at least in the north. And it also has to do with energy costs, too. So the cost of uh, um, heating energy as opposed to electricity, say, for air conditioning can impact that, too.
0: Oh, interesting. That is a really cool tool. I mean, I love that you can just say from a canopy perspective, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's, it's actually to me, we have some very complex tools that do hydrology modeling and do very large scale modeling for cities and counties. But to me, iTree tree design is probably the most important tool because it's it's something that I can connect school kid or a homeowner or politician too. I've been at conferences and politicians have come by and then I can just show them that on a tablet and like, or, or even a reporters and just showing them that. And they're like, wow, I did not know that that type of information was so accessible to me and I can look at my own home on top of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just the part that it's like, and it's a free resource. It's completely free.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're really excited about where design is going.
0: Yeah. You know what would be cool is if someday it could somehow either hook up with Zillow or like MLS online, you know, where you're selling and buying homes where you could say... Because they show you a map, they'll say, "Here is this mm-hmm. house for sale." And then it'd be great to say, "Let me see the iTree report on this home," and especially, yeah, you, know, we, you know, I think
1: we've had some realtors that have mentioned something like that too, and that's a, that's a good idea. I don't know that we're there yet, but um, we, we've actually worked with utilities in, in all across the U.S. who have used design, integrated it into. Their systems, because they're interested in reducing energy costs, they've given homeowners free trees if you agree to plant it in a strategic area that's going to help reduce uh, energy costs. And so you use the design tool to decide where to plant the trees, and then you can select trees from a a pallet that they have available, and, and you get two free trees. So it's a way of getting free trees, promoting community tree planting, and reducing energy effects, and it uh, runs through the iTree design tool.
0: So, oh, is that fantastic? Yeah, I mean yeah, I,
1: it's a neat little project. The Arbor Day Foundation and UPS uh, were instrumental in making that happen, and then just a number of utilities across the U.S. Uh, have signed up to do this program. So.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing too that I should mention is that iTree is support. I mean, there were they had a ton of sponsors across the bottom of it. Arbor Day Foundation being one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's all those partners that have really come together. So industry partners in in conjunction with the U.S. Forest Service are the organizations that keep it moving forward and keep it free, too. So it's it's a challenge in in today's environment of shrinking budgets and so forth. uh, Maintain and develop and, and try to keep building new tools and maintaining the old ones every time computer systems change we have to then go back with our developers and uh, rebuild things. So that's always a constant challenge. Hmm.
0: Well, this takes so much work, too. People probably won't appreciate all of the man hours that have gone into this, but there is a lot of research and information that had to get plugged in for this to yeah, be the absolutely. There's this to a tool, the tool called yeah.
1: Landscape, which is a little bit more of a, a technical tool One of the things that we're trying to get at is trying to be able to find out where are people at risk, and where are trees, and then where do we need trees. And so we can preserve trees that we know are in the community. So if we were to look at Maple Grove, canopy is probably distributed differently throughout the community, but so are populations. So are there older folks who might be more at risk? And so we have census information, so we can really even start looking at social justice issues, health issues. And it's a, it's a tool that allows us to look at trees, people, and landscapes to prioritize planting and preservation strategies. But that tool took about three years to, to take all the information and make that into an online platform.
0: Now that's but if, cool. if you ever
1: want if you ever have time to play around with the tool it's really interesting it's a little bit clunky to use because it has so many different features uh, and we're always adding new things in there but it's how can we make better spatial decisions is where we're going next.
0: Hmm. Okay, do you have any other online tools or is there any other aspect of iTree that you think would be good to draw our attention to?
1: There's one other iTree tool which is very similar to this but it's meant for smartphones. And so this is just a derivative of design, and it's called MyTree. And so my uh, the design tool is meant for working on a desktop because you can draw a tree, but it's a little bit hard to do, say, on an iPhone or a, a tablet. And so we have another tool that's called MyTree, which is the same thing, the same type of website, itreetools.org slash MyTree. And this is something that's designed to just run the same type of program that we just ran through on design. It's meant to just use your location. So you could just enter in a street address and follow the same instructions that we had in design. Um, But it's for smartphones, so it's more accessible. So this is something that you can use if you're just... Um, walking by and you're in a friend's yard and you want to show them something about their hey did you know here's your honey locust did you know that you're let's put your tree into this uh, app on a phone and see what benefits it's providing it's a great way of helping uh, folks see their trees in a new way so it's the same itreetools.org just slash my tree and it comes up with a similar interface but it's more just word driven and drop down driven
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, I like that. All right, any other tools?
1: Um, There is another tool that my folks might find interesting, iTree Species.
0: <laughs> iTree Species.
1: Yeah. Actually, the website for this is Org. This is just a different tool for selecting species, but selecting them based on the desired environmental services that you want them to provide. So this too is another online tool. So these are all tools that are free, don't require any software download. And you just put in your location and then you put in height information. So perhaps you have some constraints with the wires or things like that and, and so you can actually take that into consideration. So it takes location information, it takes height information. And then you also put in what are the desired ecosystem services that you might be interested in. And then it will give you a list of species based on, say, if you're interested in temperature reduction, low allergen um, issues, or building energy, carbon storage. So it's a different way of looking at species um, selection. We we often look at species selection based on color. So, yeah, I love uh, the fall color. I love... Uh, the flowering capabilities, but this actually just uses a whole different dynamic to look at selecting species based on the services or the functions that they provide. It'll give you a general list. It's not meant to be a, an end-all list to say that these are the the top 10 trees that you should provide, but it's just something that can be supplemental to... Uh, tree selection, so that's kind of an interesting tool that we we recently redesigned and turned into an online tool that folks might like, especially homeowners.
0: Yeah, I like this because it does focus on things that you just don't even think about with trees, which is so frustrating right. because then we don't really see them. You know, it's really like we're just buying the aesthetic value; we're not looking at all of the other benefits. This is why they often get overlooked. So, um, for instance, when I'm starting this the first thing you want us to evaluate is whether or not air pollution removal is important. And so you have us indicate that on a scale of 0 to 10. So I'm going to put in here that it's a 7. I'll say it's a 7. And then other functions I'm going to look at are low VOC emissions. What's that?
1: So volatile organic compound emissions. So trees actually, some trees can emit compounds which can be used uh, in ozone creation. Okay. So it's very species specific and there's not a whole lot of uh, research on all species. And so VOC emissions can can be a little bit harmful, but it's it doesn't neg- it doesn't negatively impact or uh, overtake all the positive benefits that trees can provide. But in some cases where air quality is the primary concern, some communities might move to focus on low VOC species.
0: Okay. So I'll, I'll give that a four. And then carbon storage, I'll say seven. Uh, wind reduction out here on the prairie. I love wind reduction, so I'm going to put eight. Mm-hmm. Um, air temperature reduction. Give me an example of that.
1: So, air temperature reduction is referring to a, we, we like to call that a climate effect. And so, if you think when you're driving through, say, a wooded or heavily canopied area a, on a hot summer day and it instantly feels a couple degrees cooler, that's, uh, we like to call that a climate effect. And it is actually very important at a community scale. You can, you can even feel that in, in certain homes. I have a, a wooded house up in, um, Wisconsin area, and I don't use air conditioning because of the temperature effect, but I have about 16 trees around my, my house, and so it's generally cooler in, in that area. And so it's a climate effect or air temperature reduction effect that has to do with the fact that trees are uptaking water and releasing that as uh, water vapor through the process of transpiration or we call the combined evaporation and transpiration, evapotranspiration. So I know that's kind of a, a clunky term, but what it's basically doing is releasing water vapor in the atmosphere, and that calls, causes a climate effect, so it's reducing the air temperature. Really important when it comes to public health impacts, too, especially at the community scale.
0: Okay. And then the next one says UV radiation reduction. So this is how important is that to you? And UV radiation would be protecting you from... Ultraviolet radiation. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm assuming trees with larger leaves would do a better job. Is that true?
1: Yeah. And that's what you'll find here for the most part is that uh, leaf surface, again drives a lot of the benefits.
0: Okay. Uh, Building energy reduction, I'm going to say that's a seven. Stream flow reduction, I live in an urban area. So of course, I'm going to say that's a nine. And then I think my favorite new term that I just read about here is it says low allergenicity. I love that low allergenicity. So I've got kids with allergies, we're an allergy asthma family. So that's important to me. So I'm going to say eight on that. And now I'm going to say next and we'll see what it recommends. Okay, so in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota, it's, it gives me a whole list of trees here. It starts out with scientific name, gives me the common name of the tree, mm-hmm. gives me the hardiness zone. So you wouldn't recommend a tree because I see they're all like zone three or four. So they're perfect for up here. Um, You tell me if it's invasive or not, which is great. Norway, Norway maple is marked as invasive. And then you share this area that's called sensitivity. And you have three things, ozone, nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide. What does that mean, this sensitivity component we're supposed to look at?
2: So that has
1: to do with trying to let you know if those particular trees are sensitive to those air pollutants. And so, oh, okay. say, if you're in a very urban area, I believe that um, Maple Grove is just uh, northwest of uh, Minneapolis. Yeah. If it, so in a very urban area, you might have a lot more issues with sulfur dioxide or ozone if you were planting, say, along the street, and you might have potential impacts or some trees might be more susceptible, some are more tolerant of these types of pollutants.
0: Well, I really like this because then at the very end is a column that says pest risk. So I now have this list of looks like about 20 trees that I could plant in lovely Maple Grove on my property with those specifications that we just went through. And then you tell me, what things I need to also look out for if I plant that particular species. I love this tool. Yeah,
1: it's a great way of looking at trees. And, and early on, we we improved this quite a bit. So we, we didn't have the pest risk information and we didn't have the invasive information. And, and one of the things that um, we, we heard from folks is that things change. So like emerald ash borer, Nobody was planting ash anymore, and so we had to kind of put that on there, so we tried to kind of put the past-risk information just because that always changes frequently, too. So as as time goes on and we get more information, generally we use state lists for these. But um, again, I like to consider this a starting point, too. So. I always would um, go to the local resources just because we might not have that specific information for for your specific community. And so, if you go to a good uh, garden center or nursery, they t- would probably know a lot more and, and can verify. But this is—it's a nice way of just looking at trees if you want to look at uh, a different type of. And we actually have—we uh nurseries—is this something that they could use too? Uh, be, just to complement the way folks normally look at selecting trees, which is tends to be by color or size or yep. flowering capability.
0: Yeah, I like it. I again, I just think it helps people think a little bit more about those co-benefits that are so easy to overlook. And it says right here in the report, this is top ten percent, or this is what I've picked. You can you can say all the trees, but um, I just picked. Just show me the top ten percent of tree species based on the, mm-hmm. that criteria that I picked. And it's a wonderful starting point. And I love that you show not only the common name, you've got the scientific name, and then you show the zone, and then all of those things to consider. So that really is a useful tool. So if people want to find this, again, they go to species.itreetools.org. Correct. All right. That's fantastic. Well, Al, is there anything else, any other wonderful tidbit or piece of advice that you want to share with home gardeners, uh, gardeners, wherever they are, when it comes to trees?
1: I think the only thing I just want to really emphasize is that trees... Do pay us back. And, and that's one of the things that you, you hear that term, but they really do. And hopefully today I, I've kind of opened up some, some different ways that they actually do. For homeowners, you know, we think again of the, the energy savings capability or the capability of trees to increase your property value. Um, or just the, the curb appeal. If you happen to be trying to sell a home, attractive neighborhoods tend to, um, be higher priced, but there are so many other ways that trees provide benefits beyond just the the home to keep that in mind. And we have many tools that can, can help you see these that are readily available.
0: Yeah. And this iTree resource is fantastic. And I'll put links to that in the facebook group the listener community for the show the still growing podcast group and then i'll also share it in the show notes for today's episode al we talked about at the beginning of the show that if people need support if they need resources they can usually find a Davy location close to them
1: absolutely at uh, Davy.com, there i think there's well over 100 branches of Davey or Davey affiliate offices and all you have to do is type in your zip code and you'll usually get a, a list of your your local office the uh, district manager's name and they'll more than they'll be more than happy to come out and, and evaluate, help you evaluate your landscape or answer your questions And the Davy.com website also has a wealth of resources, too. So if you're looking for seasonal care tips or information about planting, there are a number of different resources that uh, our our team has put together there that can help folks um, just with some of the just general inquiries for home. So it's a great resource also.
0: I can't thank you enough, Al, for being on the show and for pointing out all of the wonderful benefits that trees offer us. More than just leaf color, some of the things that we usually typically think about when we talk about trees. And when you think about the investment that we make in our trees, for most people, it boils down to picking a tree and planting a tree, and they kind of plant it and forget it. And so when you think about that in terms of what trees give us back. They give us way more than what most people will invest in trees over their lifetime.
1: Absolutely. Hopefully hope um open up some eyes to some of the more interesting possibilities of trees.
0: I love it. All right. Well Al, this was super fun. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. This was fantastic. I did too. Jennifer,
1: thank you so much for having me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity to participate.
0: All right. Well this was great. We'll be in touch. Okay, great. Have a All good right. rest of your day then. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye now. Well, that's it for our show today on Growing Money, Calculating the Real Value of Trees with Al I hope today's show gave you an extra appreciation of the benefits and services provided by trees, from carbon storage and intercepting storm water to capturing pollution, increasing home values, reducing energy costs, and of course, the beauty. Just a reminder that the show notes for this episode will be under the Still Growing Podcast page over at my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. And don't forget while you're there, you can click on the group, the Facebook group, the listener community for the show. Just click on that and then request to join. I'd love to meet you in the group. I'm so thankful for my team over at Podfly Productions. My editor and project manager, Eric Begay, and my copywriter, Ayn Kadina. I'd also like to thank the women who make up my listener advisory board, Beth Engel, Beth Gardens in Illinois. She works at Griffin, a national brokerage firm, and one of the finest companies in horticultural service. And Beth is also a board member of the PPA, the Perennial Plant Association. Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi, and is a Contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener magazine, Amy Von Achen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager over at American Beauty's Native Plants. And she also joined us in episode 553, where we talked all about the importance of adding more native plants into your landscape. For my sign-off today, I leave you with this thought to help you grow. What is the monetary value of the trees on your property? Use the free resources available at itree.org and check it out. You'll have a more profound appreciation for your trees, and I'm hoping it sparks a commitment to tree care. As Al said, they pay us back in a variety of valuable dividends many times over. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. We can't talk about trees without talking about tree forts. (laughs) Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Al Zalea is on the show today, and we're talking about the real value of trees. And there went my alarm. I know why you don't like tree jokes. You're afraid you're going to get stumped. In fact, Al and his team work with cities to answer certain questions like, how can they justify the time, money, and resources involved in planting and caring for trees? That alarm must go. What's purple and leaps from tree to tree? A squirrel. Why is it purple? Choked on a nut. In fact, Al and his team work with cities to answer certain questions like, What's up, trees? With the listeners in the free Facebook... Oh, I gotta sneeze. (laughs) (laughs) The fairy howard... Oh, gosh. (laughs) The fairy... Hairy flower... Hairy flower... Another very important benefit provided by trees is tree houses. So think about that. But Hairy flower wild petunia. Ah! I did it. I didn't think I was going to do it. What's a tree's favorite month? September. Money don't grow on trees. I got beer to pay I got miles to feed there ain't nothing in this world for free except trees sometimes get trees for free didn't think about that did you